This season of Life on a Plate is sponsored by Bellazoo, the amazing suppliers of Mediterranean and Middle Eastern ingredients. Their range includes premium olive oils and vinegars, pestos, pastes, and preserved lemons. And if you haven't yet tried their signature Rosa Rissa, which is a staple in my fridge, then you are in for a treat. Bellazoo started 30 years ago when two friends, George and Adam, drove a van full of olives back from France. They began supplying chefs, then home cooks, and have never looked back. Bellazoo ingredients are restaurant quality, and I've genuinely been a fan for a very long time. Their tahini from Nablus has a very special place in my kitchen shelf. It's so nutty and flavoursome. Their ingredients are such a simple way to enhance other flavours, and they transform any dish. Bellazoo source and develop their products very carefully without compromising on quality and have gone above and beyond in their commitment to the environment and to looking after their suppliers. To find out more, go to waitrose.com forward slash Bellazoo to discover the range for yourself. Hi, I'm Yasmin Khan. And you're listening to Life on a Plate, the podcast from Waitrose. Throughout the season, my co-host, Alison Okavy and I are going to be talking to a range of fantastic guests from many walks of life and asking them to share their stories through the food memories, dishes and ingredients that mean the most to them. Hi, Alison. How are you? Hi, I'm really well, thank you. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. I am very excited this week because it feels like we're kind of approaching and entering the festive season now. Opened up my advent calendar yesterday. I've got a very nice uh, pip and nut chocolate one. Mm. So do you have an advent calendar? Do you go down that route? Uh, No, not this year. I'm not a big chocolate fan. So uh, I like like buying them for other people, but I'm quite happy to be spared the chocolate. You can get like all kinds of ones now, can't you? Like cheese and... Gin and tonic. I don't know. Gin and tonic. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll make a note of that for next year. (laughs) And what about, I mean, how how does Christmas unfold for you? Do you do most of the cooking? Yeah, I mean, I'm part of a big family and we all get together. So, you know, Christmas Day, I probably do most of the cooking but we all are quite good at coming into the kitchen and helping each other out and kind of doing the vegetables at the same time do you have any tips like what are your top few christmas cooking tips do you know the top tip is something that heston said one year and that is base the timing and serving your meal around the roast potatoes because yeah Everything else can wait and doesn't really spoil if it's too, you know, not cooked enough or needs to wait five minutes. The turkey improves by resting or the goose improves by resting. The stuffings all stay warm and red cabbage doesn't take that long to heat through. Whereas Mm -hmm. the roast potatoes, if they're not quite right, they're not as good. So get them really cooked and perfect and then serve, you know, serve dinner around that. Well, yeah, I kind of agree with that because I feel the timings is where I get the most stressed. I mean, I'm a big proponent of kind of doing as much prep as possible Mm -hmm. in advance. But also there's some things that if you do ahead, improve like red Mm -hmm. cabbage and cranberry sauce can be done a couple of days in advance and they kind of get better if they're not served straight away. Absolutely. And uh, that kind of brings us on to the theme of this week's interview because we were very fortunate to uh, talk to the wonderful Ashley Jensen, uh, a Scottish actress who 
is in the new Waitrose Christmas ad, isn't she? She is. She was really great. Yeah, she's just such a brilliant actress and is well known for her roles in as the seamstress Christina in Ugly Betty and more recently in the comedy series Catastrophe as well as Afterlife. And what I love about her work is even though she plays these kind of so-called supporting roles, she's always so brilliant in them and brings such subtlety and variety and humour uh, to everything she plays. I mean, she's just so funny. And we had a great conversation about food. Yeah, what really struck me was her real passion for social justice and the way she talked with such concern about food poverty in the UK, which was really inspiring and very, very moving. It was. So without any further ado, here is our interview with Ashley Jensen. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to Life on a Plate. We are so happy to talk to you. Thank you for having me, talking about one of my most favourite things, food. (laughs) Well, you've come to the right place. And I was particularly excited to talk to you this week because, drumroll, you are the star of the Waitrose Christmas ad this year, aren't you? I am. Me and Heston Mm. Blumenthal. (laughs) My good mate Heston. Tell us a little bit of the behind the scenes of that. You know, what was the filming like? It was very, very easy, actually. Um... It, it was a really, really pleasant experience. It was like me as as me, dressed up in lovely clothes, going to various Christmas uh, dinners, Christmas lunches, Christmas parties, and uh, just generally getting in the Christmas vibe and talking about the wonderful food and how uh, Christmas is, frankly, all about the food, really. Absolutely. What I really liked about it is not only are you a comedy genius as you always are but I feel like let's be honest Christmas can be quite stressful for various reasons can't it but there is that moment when you're like got a plate full of food and you can kind of put your feet up and you know in my case just drown everything in gravy and just really enjoy yourself so I I love the theme because if nothing else I think some of the food is, is certainly what gets me excited. Well, it is. I mean, I think with, with Christmas can actually be, it can be quite divisive with food, can't it? What's your favourite bit of the Christmas meal? Listen, I'm a sprout lover. I love Brussels sprouts with stilton and walnuts. I love them with chestnuts. Ooh, I love them it? with mostly pancetta. Ah. <laughs> Which I remember when I was doing that line and I said, should I be saying, should I be saying sprouts? And then kind of almost in, in the background, kind of going, that are mostly pancetta. Subtext. <laughs> so there's something there for everyone. You don't need to eat the sprouts. It's mostly pancetta anyway. <laughs> well, I was going to say, what about in the dressing room? Were you able to have a, a Hester mince pie before you started filming at all? Do you know they didn't? Because we, we shot it about a month. We shot it about a Ooh. month ago and it, it wasn't really Christmassy then, really. So nobody was really thinking about uh, about mince pies quite at that point, about actually eating them as it were. I'd say that now that the advert has launched, I think it is officially Christmas, isn't it really now? So I think we can, we can indulge. It's probably time for me to have a mince pie because I've not had one yet. Have you? Well, my son's <laughs> already got involved with the mince pies. He's like, can I have the mince pie now? Can I have it now? Yeah. Can I have it now? When, when are we putting the tree up? <laughs> it's funny. I saw this thing. It was on, like, on Instagram a few weeks ago where um, Tan France had put up his Christmas tree on Halloween, which um, I thought... Oh, that's that, just confusing. Yeah, that's new. That's, that's bold. 
Yes, that's that's mixing all different kind of foods. You can't have a toffee <laughs> apple and a mince pie in the same room. That's just too confusing. Also, it's, it's got winter and autumn kind of all muddled up. You want yes, it's all muddled up. The colour scheme. You want wrong. the pumpkins out the way. Get them out of the way. Yeah, then have a bit of fireworks, and then we can go boldly into, into Christmas, Christmas, can't we? Yes. So you've not had any mince pies yet, but your son's had mince pies. He's got involved with Heston's okay. mince pies. Yes. I've actually never met Heston, but he carries quite a lot of like authority and gravitas, doesn't he? He's amazing, actually. It was it was really fascinating. That was the first scene and the the first day in the first scene. I kind of wheeled out wearing a a long silvery cat suit with a plate of Heston's mince pies and um, <laughs> walked up to him and said, "Just whip these up myself." And then he glares <laughs> at me. And then in between the takes, him and I ended up having. We got quite an in-depth conversation quite quickly. We ended up, we were talking about lockdown and and how there was elements of it that actually we quite liked, like the whole kind of like the fact that hedgehogs came into your garden and, and that the world stood still. And I mean, I'm in a very fortunate position uh, that I have a garden and and in some ways it's just like being an out-of-work actor. <laughs> 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 a little bit <laughs> where the where the world stands still but just to sort of you know stop and know that everybody else had stopped and you know that obviously there was a whole homeschooling thing but I, I kind of I sort of got into that a little bit as well and baked banana bread like everybody like everyone else bought a bread maker Brilliant. like everybody <laughs> I think that's a really interesting point though isn't it because I I feel obviously given everything that's happened you know, there, there were, and there still are, you know, huge, terrible repercussions with the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of health and economics and, and to people's sanity. Yeah. But I, I do also feel that there was another element, I think, of just appreciating the world pausing and stopping mm. for those, you know, who had the privilege of that being a financially okay thing to do. I know, I know. And it's interesting that the whole uh, climate crisis has really reached a crescendo at the minute. And I don't know whether that's maybe on the tail end of that, that people actually realising, look at our beautiful world and having time to stop and think and not rushing to get a train and rushing to be here and there and fit this meeting in and do that and go here and go there. But people, people, it, it, Heston, my mate Heston, and I were, <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking about like a sort of period of, of reflection and like, and self-reflection and, and just, stopping and thinking about important things and and you know tiny moments of joy and holding on to those little moments I mean I I really remember really early on you know when it was like dead stressful and panicky and we thought the world was going to end in a in like an apocalypse when everyone <laughs> bought toilet roll and yeah. pasta so I I didn't do that but I do remember just having this moment when I opened my fridge and you know just saw that it was full of food and it was just this moment where I just was like that I just, I'm so grateful that I'm in that position where I've got food in the house and that I've shelter. Do you know, it, it's, it's interesting that you talk about that because the young man that, without any doubt, who stands above everybody else for me during this whole year is Marcus Rashford. And I can get quite emotional, actually, when, when I think about him. In fact, Marcus Rashford and his mum. Because his mum produced that wonderful young man who's, I don't know, just his 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 strength of character and his his goodwill and his sense of injustice and inequality and his dignity and and his his 
authority of who he is as a person. He held the government to account and he got the government to U-turn and he's still doing it. Apart from being an amazing footballer, you know, his 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 graft, his his determination, his I just I I have so much respect for for Marcus Rashford at the moment and what he's continuing to do. And you know, and, and that is one of the big things that came out of this was is a food crisis that in this day and age in 2021 there are children that don't have enough food, there are families that are really struggling even more than there were 2 years ago and that that for me is just it's it's horrifying and for me as i'm an ambassador for save the children and at the beginning of all that it would be like we're going to africa and going to a remote village and the you know it's difficult for these children or um the uh, the migrants in lesbos and then you go i'm going to wales because there are children there in our country that are struggling and families that are struggling and that as a mum for me, just makes it it makes my heart ache. Really, I find it it's so hard. And you know, my son and I used to watch the news every day. You know, it was it was the, the obsession with the news and the numbers and the figures and what was happening. And and it's and I think it's our responsibility as you know the older generation to educate the young generation about what's going on in the world because that's the only way that things can change and that is for everything it's for racial discrimination uh poverty climate crisis is everything and it's educating all all the kids below us i i you know for the, for the next generations coming up and i think that people are doing that now i think a lot of the younger generations are more politically aware than than maybe i was when when i was that age which i think is an excellent thing and, and a positive thing. This year, Waitrose and John Lewis are continuing their work with Fair Share and Homestart to help support families in need at Christmas. The partnership will donate £1 million to these and other local charities, and it's easy for you to give too. Just visit waitrose.com forward slash love. Together, we can make a real difference to families in need. To find out more, including full terms and conditions, please go to waitrose.com forward slash love. We're going to come back to Christmas, but let's let's start with a little journey backwards into Ashley Jensen's life. So you grew up in Scotland. I did. I've got the accent to prove it. Yes. <laughs> Me and Alison were talking, uh, you know, ahead of this interview that we feel it's probably universally felt, isn't it, that Scottish food, it gets a bit of a bad rep, doesn't it? It does get a it bit does. of a bad rep, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what was food like for you when you were growing up? Well, I think for me, sort of growing up in the 70s and 80s, um, I, my, I grew up with my grandparents as well as my mum and my grand did a fair amount of the cooking. So she was coming out of that sort of post-war thing. So it was very traditional meat and two veg um, you know your 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 mince and tatties and yes. your your stew and your your rissoles and your oh what's olive? a rissole? Well, wait a minute. Wait, let's get let's get on to never mind the rissole. What's a beef olive? Have you heard of that? <laughs> no. This was one of my favourite meals and a I've beef olive. olive. Nothing to do with olives. No idea why it's called an olive. It's kind of like a sort of bit of roast beef. Wrapped around a kind of spicy sausagey thing, I think. Ooh. But you never see them anymore. 
It's like one. It's like one of these seventies foods that's just died out. Like a rissole. What was a rissole? Was that? I think it was kind of like a. It was burger. a burger. A burger made up of the the mince from your Sunday lunch. You put your your cold leftover lamb or beef through the, yes. the mincer and then you made a burger up with it as a rissole with a bit yeah, of onion and egg. Yes, yeah, so, so it was very much kind it's of hearty that. kind of, yeah, food. Yeah, but then it, it, when it became the 80s and we started getting, t- tins were very fashionable and one of, one of my favourite things were, another thing that's disappeared was the four corn and the cobs in a can. Oh, yeah. What? Do you remember yeah, them? I'm, ab- I'm about the same age as you, so yeah, 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 I do remember. Why are they not around anymore? They're brilliant. So you get four. Four big corn in the cup, co- and it was a brilliant can. And, you know, with that can, I was in the brownies and the guides, and I was a I was a very, very good brownie and guide. you use it for quite a lot of badges? Well, we <laughs> used it for a, we used it for a sausage sizzle. Oh. And you had to make, because it was big enough to be a pat little sort of pan. So you'd like drill, my grandpa would drill little holes in the side of it, make a little hooky thing, and you'd hold it over the fire with your bins in it. Nice. So, it, you know, see, that's very, very kind of eco-friendly now, isn't it, doing all yeah. that sort of repurposing your exactly. corns in a can yeah but but, but uh, the other thing was my mum was kind of segueing into the 80s and then exotic foods began to come into my life like a kiwi fruit mm-hmm. oh which was very exotic in about 1983 and the the other thing was that she'd she'd made chili con carne and this was the thing that we still laugh about where I didn't want to eat it and my mum couldn't understand why I didn't want to eat it and I was like, like oh, I don't want to eat it. And then it ended, I ended up crying about it. And she was like, eat, you're eating it. I've cooked it. You've eaten it. And to me, I was looking at the little kidney beans. <laughs> and to me, they were either the kidney of a baby animal yeah. or a small edible rodent. <laughs> <laughs> One or the other. Oh, God. And I, because I was coming from the world of my grand, which was all liver and onions yeah. and yeah, yeah. rissoles and beef olives and kidney pies and things. So I thought this was a tiny kidney and it wasn't until later on I was like, that was why I didn't eat it because I thought it was like a sort of edible mouse's kidney. <laughs> so. If only she told you it was a bean. I know, I know, I know, yeah. So I read somewhere that you were veggies when you were younger. Is that true? Yeah, well, I was a pescatarian for 20 years. 20, that's um, a good innings. Yeah, before, before it was easily accessible. And when I was in America, um, one of my pescatarian, vegetarian moments were, was Christmas because mm. it was always like, well, clearly one can't have a turkey. Have you heard of the tofurkey? <laughs> I have had a tofurkey before, actually. Have you? Yeah. Well, you can't, get, you can't get them in this country. It was like, imagine like a small, slightly squashed chicken in a cardboard box. So you would take it home and then you'd stuff this sort of, was it soy or was it corn? I'm not quite sure what it's, it was. It was made from tempeh, I think. Oh, was it? But it looked like a turkey, shape, fashioned into the shape of a, well, a chicken really. It wasn't quite as big as a turkey, but you stuffed it and it puffed up. No. And then you could carve it. Wow. So, yeah. But I, I was a vegetarian for 20 years and I tell you, in 1990 in Scotland was quite difficult especially because I did a lot of theatre at the beginning and I would do all this sort of theatre where you would um, get in the back of the van drive to the village hall you would put the set up you'd perform the show to seven people you'd take the set down you'd get in your van and you go somewhere else again and everywhere would be shut and you'd go to these little boarding houses and, and stay in these little rooms where they were 
you still kind of like nylon sheets in the bed and things and the wee lady would be like I can make I can make you something to eat. Says it, yes. <laughs> well, I'm I'm a vegetarian. Oh, but you'll take a sausage. <laughs> now, nah, but I will know what I, I will, because that's that's that's, that's me. I but it but it's no real meat. What what about what about this soup? I said, well, is it, uh, there's no much harm in it. <laughs> but there is harm in it. There is in fact harm in it. So yeah, it was quite difficult being in. Uh, in, Scot- in Scotland in imagine. the early 90s, not eating. What stopped you from being a vegetarian? It was when my wee boy was born. And at the time I was a vegetarian and I was giving him some meat substitute bacon, okay. ham, sausage thing. And I was just sitting sort of early one morning and I, was, I, I happened to pick up this packet of, and this was in America at the mm. time, so there, there were obviously a lot more vegetarian products and it was also 20 years later. Yeah. And I looked at the back on the ingredients and I didn't recognise any of them as a food stuff. And I was like, what What am I feeding him? And I'd been so diligent throughout my pregnancy with what went into my body. Mm. And I went, why, why am I giving him this? with funny colourings and preservatives and I don't know what it is. So it was at that moment that I decided, well, if I ate meat but ate it sustainably and sensibly... Good quality, yeah. Then, so that was why I reverted to eating meat. What about what about cooking? Do you, do you enjoy cooking? I do enjoy cooking, but I would say that I'm not a... I'm not a, f- a fancy cook. I'm all a bit rustic and it's a bit improvisational. I'm not keen on following a recipe, which is why I'm a terrible baker, because that's all sa- that's science. If you deviate from that, plus I just think I look at how much sugar goes into things, and I'm like, oh, I can't be doing that. Mm. So I don't really do baking, really, but I do cook. And see, this is why I love Jamie Oliver's school of cooking, mm. where you just throw it into a pot, and people like him, who I think have taken the fear and the pretension out of some cooking because I think it can be quite kind of intimidating really so, so I'm a bit I can be a bit wild in the kitchen in that I just I will taste it and I'm the best at cooking when there's nothing in the house so basically you'd be great on ready steady cook is what you're saying yeah well yes yes that sort of thing but I can I can open a fridge and people will go there's nothing there and I'm like no 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 wait 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 a minute wait a minute and I kind of look there is no waste in my house is there one thing that you always have as a go-to ingredient in your store cupboard I've always got a noodle I love a noodle soup like a ramen and dried noodles just stay in the back of your cupboard easily forever there was a white when I first went to London and I discovered Chinatown I was just like I am in heaven here I just, I, I loved it. And that was a day out for me. And I would just wander around the supermarkets in Chinatown and I would buy things that I didn't even know what they were. And I mean, honestly, it was black fungus, lotus seeds, fish balls and uh, bonito flakes that made the fish look alive and stuff. So I, 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 really, I really got into all that when I first moved to London because I'd never really... I'd not really had that. No, I'd, I'd come from a, diff- a very different world, sort of like southwest of Scotland, quite traditional cooking. And I, th- I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, this was this was amazing and it was so inspirational. I mean, that's one of the joys of food though, isn't it? It just, well, it's almost kind of goes the counter of what you were saying, you know, that feeling of instead of being scared of the kitchen, just really seeing it as a place to kind of have some fun and experiment yeah, with lots of things. Yeah, I, I think I've never, I've never been very much one for like, 
a rule book, really. And I remember I felt that when I went to America, everybody was very organised and had five-year plans. And then I was like, I don't even know what I'm having for my tea, let alone a five-year plan. So you became interested in acting quite young, didn't you? I did, yeah. What what was it that sparked your interest in, I guess, the stage at that point? Well, it wasn't really the stage, I wouldn't say. It, it was it was funny actually. It was um, uh, Alison will remember this. Some mothers do have. Oh, oh yeah, I remember <laughs> that. that one. <laughs> do you? <laughs> Frank Spencer, and that was. I mean, he was my he was my acting hero, <laughs> and I was just like, I, I was obsessed with him. I. Uh, I used to do impressions of him and I used to go about in a little berry and a little raincoat oh. going, oh, Betty, doing, doing my little voice. <laughs> oh, my God. So did you and, always like making people laugh? Has that been I think I did, yeah. actually, yeah. I don't know whether it's to do with being an only child, but I was I was just speaking to somebody the other day about how I used to ask for things like false noses and makeup <laughs> for Christmas presents or uh, I would go in and go, look, look, I'm a zombie and I've done like, I've given myself a false nose with a prosthetic nose thing and fake blood and wigs and uh, I would do radio shows with funny voices and but yeah but I, th- I think I always was I was always sure of what I wanted to do mm. but I didn't quite know how I was going to do it and in the same breath I never thought that TV would be a world that I would get into and I thought that actresses in this country went to the theatre and you did the theatre and that that was really how I started I suppose I went to I went to the National Youth Theatre and I think my mum was like well this will this will make her or break her she'll either come back and she'll go oh no it was terrible it was yeah and I was like no this is definitely definitely what I want to do and uh, went applied to drama school and at the time, they were all. I, I didn't think I was going to be able to get a grant for anywhere down in in England because it was, you know, it was expensive because you had to pay your train fare down there, you had to pay an audition fee. So I had two options, which was the one in Glasgow or the other one that was a bit sub in Edinburgh. And my first audition was Glasgow. Didn't get into that, so got into the other one that is unfortunately no more. Which is another little cause that I kind of feel a bit kind of passionate about is like you know children from working class backgrounds being able to find access to a career in the arts that's because it's you know there was a whole load of doors that were already shut to me because I couldn't get to London to you know the train fare down the addition fee I was fortunate enough that I did get into this one in in Edinburgh and um, at the time it's called Queen Margaret College and I had the best time because I was surrounded by like-minded people who who were as daft as I was at the time and wanted to uh, act and perform. And, and did, did you take on like more comedic roles back then as well? Because I feel like that is obviously what you're known for, I feel, more in, in your TV and, and well, film work. Well, not, not, not really, actually. I mean, at the beginning, I, I predominantly did theatre for about 10 years and I'd say that my bag was kind of... It was new writing and I would work at places Mm. like the Tron and the Traverse in Scotland, like small new writing theatres or the Royal Court or the National Studio in in London. And then it it began to be that I would would be doing a a theatre show and then I'd do my one line in television, which is uh, more terrifying, I think, than 
being the lead in a show because I feel as if I've I feel as if I've well and truly served my apprenticeship because I've I've done theatre for some people who didn't really want to be there mm-hmm. and then started to do TV which involved going in and doing one line and and having the director say oh Ashley you've got to you've you've got to wait until we say action <laughs> oh yeah yeah right yes yes <sighs> because they don't no. teach you things like that or they didn't when I was at drama school about how to hit a mark and how big the lens is and. Don't do big faces if the camera is like right there and, you know, and, you know, technicalities that nobody, you just learn on the job, really. So, yeah, so I kind of, I, I sort of like kind of went up the rungs of the ladder and then sometimes would find myself in America with the man bringing half a million pounds worth of diamonds for me to wear to the Emmys with a hair girl, a makeup girl, a nail girl, a chauffeur out the back with a stretch limo and me with the dog hair all around the bottom of my dress. <laughs> I mean, what was that transition to Hollywood like? You know, because it's a lot of people's dream, isn't it? As, especially in the acting world. Well, it is. I mean, I, I, it was never on the cards for me. I, I feel as if I sort of got there slightly by default, really. And I think I was also... 38 when I went over there so I was I was I'd been around the block a few times and I wasn't going to be taken in by anything really I don't know I think I've still got the, the post-war granny thing of like I right, your feet firmly on the ground and don't get carried away with your own self-importance kind of thing you know but I think I I embraced what it was and I would go gosh I can't believe I'm here and I'd sometimes watch myself on Ugly Betty and I'd go how did you get in why are you in this? How are you in this? In this big shiny show? Do you have a favourite, whether it's a favourite, whether it's movies, TV or or theatre? I don't feel as if I've done enough film to have a proper kind of opinion on that. But I, I feel as if I've I've served a lot of time on television and I feel very comfortable on a set now. And I know... I feel as if I know what I'm doing. I mean, there's always things to learn and I think having an open mind and an open you know attitude to things there's always you can always glean from other people i i love i love being part of television and being for for me being part of something like extras or or even ugly betty which touched a lot of people's hearts you know the whole ethos of what ugly betty was about and it was you know just be yourself and beauty is within and in this mad world that we're in at the minute, you know, where it's all kind of about your outside package. Although I don't know, maybe we're maybe we're beginning to sort of understand that there is a wee bit more and things like kindness can be kindness and, and love can be revered as much as an unlined face. Although how how is that for you though? Because you know, I've such admiration for people within your realm and and field because of course it is so external isn't it and um you know how do you navigate that as you know especially I think as a woman which it just you know is so much more challenging yeah well it's almost like one of the last one of the last taboos is a woman and how dare you get old and I think that you know it's hopefully the tide is turning ever so slightly on that now and that 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 we can have women in lead roles talking about being a woman and a woman who is getting old and what a woman that gets old goes through and there's this obsession that we have to that women are not allowed to get old and we have to try and make ourselves look younger again and 
And I find that I find that awful sad. And I, I hope that I've got enough dignity to be able to just go. I'm 53. Yeah, this is what a face looks like. Because what's the alternative? Being dead, actually, mm. not being here. And I feel that we owe it to younger generations to actually say it's okay. It's okay. It's still I can still see ish although I've got my glasses here I can still hear I can still walk bits of me don't work quite as well as they did but you know I've done a lot of walking in my life I've done a lot of talking in my life and I feel it's about just kind of getting to the point where you feel grateful for 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 the little things and you know when I don't want to have to inject my face to try and look like other people and I just it's it's not I, it's not a great message I don't think to send your your children. I mean, and I I don't have a girl, I have a boy, but I even don't think it would be a good message to send him. Which was an interesting thing because you were asking me. I think there was a thing we were talking about comfort food, and I thought about that question. I thought that's an interesting way of putting it because. I don't think I have comfort food because food in general just makes me happy. That's great. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I get excited about food and and I don't need it to find solace and I don't need it to find comfort. If you start denying yourself food, like say like Matt, I did think about this and I thought quite a lot of the food, if I had to categorize it, would be cheese with some form of carb, nice. be it cheesy mash or mac and cheese or a baked camembert with white crusty bread or whatever. I think if we start, if you start denying yourself food, I mean, obviously don't eat that every day for every meal, but if you start denying yourself food, that's when you become obsessed yeah. by it. If I want a monster munch. Treat yourself. I'll have a monster munch. What, yeah. what flavour would you have? Monster pickled munched? onion, pickled well onion. Well done. That's the answer. Yeah, the that's right the right answer. answer. Yeah. <laughs> this is a time of year when, you know, we all start thinking about some of the things we've discussed about, you know, things we're grateful for, but also some of the things that we, we care about. And... We, you know, you mentioned Marcus Rashford and the incredible work that he's done, you know, uh, literally feeding, you know, school children with his yeah. campaign work. If Santa could grant you one wish for the world, what what would it be? Oh, gosh. I know it's hard, mm-hmm. isn't it? Oh, but, that yeah. is it. That's a difficult one because there's a, there's a lot of them, isn't there? I think keep keeping it within the theme of food, I think that it would be, it'd be wonderful if we could have our country a place to be proud of that every child is not hungry and every family has got enough food at christmas and for the foreseeable forever forever is it kind of like i said before it just makes my heart ache that there are little children that are struggling to eat so i think that if if we could all eat and be warm and that's another thing that's that's very relevant at the minute, isn't it? About oh gosh, to be my wish would go on and let everybody would have enough money and everyone would have a roof over their head and yeah, I think I think we need we need the next generation of people in power to talk a little bit of sense, <laughs> really, don't we? I reckon if you leave out some of those Heston mince pies, Santa's bound to give you those. Um, well, because yes. I think that is. Uh, Seems like a very good Christmas wish. And to tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll ask the same thing for Santa as well. And yes. let's see if he comes back to us on it. Yeah. 
And now it's time for Kitchen Grill, our quick fire round that enables us to find out even more about you. Tea or coffee? Oh, I can barely answer that with a <laughs> with a with a one thing answer. I start my day with Lapsang Sushong tea. Oh. Uh, and there's sometimes in the morning when I'm a bit half asleep and I put the wrong, t- I put in a, a Yorkshire tea bag and I go, oh, that's not right. And I have to I have to start with Lapsang Sushong tea. Is it not too smoky? Oh, the, it's I mean, lovely. that's intense. No, I like it. It reminds me of PT Scottish whiskey. Well, maybe that's Coming back to I the like Scotland it. thing. Well, you know, having said that, I'm... I'm a Scottish person who doesn't like whiskey. Oh, okay, <laughs> I know, I know. So I, w- I would say, I would say, well, see, I love. Co- I get excited about a decent flat white coffee as well, and I'm a very much a coffee snob, and I'm a tea snob as well, to be honest. But I think so much so that on sets, people say to me, "Ashley, you're very low maintenance. You never ask for tea," and I say to them, "It's because I don't want." that amount of disappointment on a daily basis (laughs) of having the wrong amount of milk and the wrong temperature of my tea or instant coffee that's not made from, you know, I've got my own little kind of all sorts of little gadgets where I can get proper coffee. I mean, I'd rather not bother if I can't have a proper coffee. Porridge or cereal? Porridge. How do you have it? I do have salt in it, Mm. but I'm afraid I do put sugar in it. Nice. And then I put milk on the top of it again so that the porridge actually swings about like an island. Nice. In uh and the the brown, the sugar the sugar kind of goes can go brown on the top a little bit when it hits the brown hits the so brown sugar on the top. Brown sugar on the top. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh that's how I take my porridge too. So Is it? Yeah. Is it? Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I will deviate and have a little maple syrup on it. Here's a one. Have you heard of peanut butter in your porridge? Oh, I've not tried that. No, that's all. Well, I've not had it either, but there was somebody on set that was trying to sort of maintain a high protein, healthy diet. So they put peanut butter. But I like I like the cold milk and the hot porridge kind of I do. combo. I do. See, that's these are tiny moments of joy we need to hold on to, Alison, <laughs> that little moment. <laughs> um, mash or chips? Oh, mash. Mm. Possibly cheesy mash. Mm. Buttery <laughs> cheesy mash. Buttery cheesy mash, maybe with even a tiny bit of spring onion into mm. it. So that would be cheese and onion mash. Nice, nice. Mm. Bacon or smoked salmon? Bacon. Oh, okay. But done to a crisp. Nice, nice. Butter or olive oil? Butter. <laughs> <laughs> You look so a, guilty saying that. Do you know, here's another discovery that I've had. Um, a crumpet with butter, Marmite and cheese. Oh, mm. nice. Have you ever I done like that? that? I've done that. Yeah, I've done oh, that. Oh, this was yeah. a whole new world to me. This was another actor that did this and I tell he you couldn't what, believe. I've got another one on that. A Go crumpet on. with butter, uh-huh. cheese, lime pickle. Like, you know, like Patak's lime pickle or something. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Yes. Good to give that a go. Lovely. Right. Chocolate or crisps? Crisps all the way. What flavour? Well, oh gosh. If it's pickled onion, monster munch. Well, do you know what? I might even say a frazzle. Oh. Sticking to the bacon theme. It's kind of like a sort of, they're more of a maize snack. Than, than a crisp though, aren't they? It's funny, my, my cousin and I are kind of aficionados on crisps and uh, maize snacks and the difference. And we, we 
in fact, me and this other actor used to have conversations about 70s crisps. Um when we probably should have been learning our lines, we were talking about crum- crumpets <laughs> with cheese and marmite and 70s crisps. And when I was young, I remember, you might remember these, Alison, do you remember mm. Bones crisps? Bones. Oh, no. They were a maize snack, salt and vinegar in a black packet, now discontinued, sadly. But they were, then. you know that salt and vinegar that makes you go, oh. Nice, nice. I like mm. that. Yeah, yeah. Really lip puckering. Mm, mm-hmm. mm. mm. Fruit or veg? Veg. Mm. Spicy or mild? Spicy. And final one, restaurant meal or sofa supper? Oh, they see this is another this is a difficult <laughs> this is a difficult one. I think post pandemic, pre pandemic, we all might have said something different, but Yeah, I, I think um pre pandemic when people maybe went out a little bit more, sometimes I'd go, How much? Could have made it at home for that. Mm. Could have made it. That's you know. But now I think I might say going out again because uh, I'm kind of. I mean, I've still obviously all through work. I was very cautious and I didn't didn't mm. do anything really because I felt the responsibility of I can't mm. have the show go down on my shoulders. But um, yes, I do. I think I might. I might go out, although I do quite like sitting on the sofa <laughs> because the fridge is really near. Yeah. But I'm going to say going out. I'm going to say going out because I'm looking forward to kind of the world becoming a little more back to normal and and uh, being able to sort of look people in the eye and eavesdrop in people's conversations and discuss what people are wearing and all those wonderful no, people watching things that we did back in the old days. Yeah. And just an excuse to get dressed up again. I know. Thanks, Ashley. That was The Kitchen Grill. And that was a lovely way to end this episode and also this season of Life on a Plate. And Ashley, I just wanted to say, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, um, not only about food, but your passion for social justice and against inequality just really shines through. And it's been really kind of moving talking to you about that, actually. And I really appreciate you raising it all. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Life on a Plate from Waitrose with me, Yasmin Khan. Thank you to my co-host, Alison Okavy, and our guest, Ashley Jensen. If you've enjoyed this conversation, you can find more like it by subscribing to Life on a Plate wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about the series, go visit waitrose.com forward slash podcast.